0: I'm going to cut in right here and just say that there's a little bit of a trigger warning for the beginning of this episode. There will be some talk about suicide and sexual coercion. So if that's something that's not for you, uh, that makes you uncomfortable, you can put this on pause and come back to it later or skip ahead to next week. Thank you. Hello, welcome back to A History Most Queer. I am your host, Julian Rushbrook, and today I would like to talk about Antinous. What's an Antinous, you might say? Well, he's a bit less of a what, more of a he. Antinous was a lover of the Emperor Hadrian, and he was a regular person who then evolved to become a god. Now, I think we need to first address who Hadrian was. Hadrian was an emperor of Rome, but that's where I'm going to leave it because Hadrian deserves his own episode later on. We'll get into a little bit of his history in this story because a lot of it is very important when it comes to talking about Antinous himself. But Antinous is the focus for today. So, like I said, he was a lover of the emperor Hadrian. And, uh... Let's just say that they were uh, ancient Rome's most famous gay couple, and despite his humble origins, the younger Antinous would eventually grow to outshine his lover, who was the most powerful man, at least in that portion of the world at that time. Um, He would then go on to become a, uh, a real competitor against Jesus Christ for the souls of the Roman Empire itself. The Emperor Hadrian was a huge fan of everything Greek. And Hellenism was something that he really embraced, a sort of pan-Hellenism, trying to connect what even then was kind of ancient history of uh, Athens and the other Greek city-states to Rome and Egypt, as well as some of the areas in Asia Minor, Judea, Syria, and so on. There was a real attempt to try to show to try to show a continuity between all of these different civilizations. And by showing this continuity, to connect the rulers, the, the, the powerful men and women who ruled in these various uh, kingdoms and city states and legitimize the power of the Roman Emperor. Uh, so Hadrian was married to Sabina, who is an interesting character in in her own right, but it was an arranged marriage and definitely loveless. Uh, While Hadrian had all sorts of male lovers, of which Antinous Antinous was his favorite, um, there was no real love between Hadrian and Sabina, and not only was it loveless, it was sexless. They had no children. Antinous was born in the year 111 CE in Bithynia. Bithynia is a in the northern region today of what is now Turkey, and at the time of the reign of Emperor Hadrian, it had become a sort of a vassal state to the Roman Empire. By all accounts, Antinous had a rather humble upbringing. There is a claim that he was a slave, but that's only from one source that's really biased against him. Uh, But most likely he came from a family of farmers and had a rather rudimentary upbringing, uh, education-wise. When he met uh, the Emperor Hadrian in June of the year 123, the youth was sent to Italy to be educated in an imperial academy. And there he received an excellent education for two years while the emperor was going around touring his domains. When he returned to Italy, that's when the two became reacquainted and the love took off. Hadrian fell in love with the young Antinous, and they stayed together and their relationship grew. Uh, now, when it comes to the relationship, I think something needs to be kind of clear. Antinous the term that Antinous would have been referred to as during that period of time was a catamite, which is connected to Ganymede, who was a lover of the god Zeus. Um, It was typically applied to younger lovers of older men. And if it was ever used towards an older man, it was an insult. At this point in time, the concept of Homosexuality or heterosexuality, for that matter, didn't exactly exist. Um, you had actions. You had either male-on-male actions, female-on-female actions, male-on-female, etc. There was none of this kind of identity concept which arose in the 19th century. Um, so the love between these two is very similar to the kinds of situations that you would have seen in... Athens, and so on uh, in, in more ancient times, where you would have had an older male kind of in a sexual romantic relationship with a younger man. And when I use the word younger man, I'm I'm really being generous because most of these youths were just that. They were probably between the ages of 13 and 18. These were... We, these were children by our standards today. So the relationship between Hadrian and Antinous, <laughs> if it were moved to today, would probably uh, result in a call to the police. Uh, so how, how genuine was the love between these two men? It's hard to say. Uh, I think we can be clear that Hadrian did love Antinous. Now, Antinous is presented with the most powerful man in the world, as far as he's concerned. He's wealthy, uh, he's older, he's sophisticated, and he has <laughs> all of the Roman legions at his disposal. Like a lot of princesses and queens in history, I think there's a lot of similarities, Um I'm sure that Antinous's family was quite pleased to have their son be the favorite lover of an emperor. It gave them status, it gave them potentially wealth. So was there coercion? It's hard to say, but I I would be hard-pressed to deny that it didn't exist at all. Um it's difficult. It's difficult to say. Um uh, But there was definitely a power imbalance between the two. That doesn't necessarily mean that Antinous did not love Hadrian. But I think that going out, going from this point forward, that needs to be acknowledged. That there was a a, a severe age discrepancy between the two. Um, We're talking by 30 years. And a definite power imbalance between the two. After being together for a bit in Rome, Hadrian decided to take Antinous with him to continue to tour the empire. They went through North Africa and then on to Athens, where they participated in religious festivals. And by the way, Hadrian's wife was there. So that must have been a bit of an awkward trip for her. Hopefully she had something good to sort of occupy her time. They went on to Syria and Judea, and then back to Alexandria and Egypt. While in uh, North Africa, the two men hunted a lion, and it's alleged that Antinous was in danger of being killed by this lion, and Hadrian saved his life. Who knows if that's true, but uh, there's nothing more romantic than a hunting trip, right? Maybe not for me. Times change. Anyway, so now we get to the more sad part of this story. While the two men and the imperial retinue were in Egypt, the Festival of Osiris occurred. And this festival was one of rebirth, renewal, Osiris was one of the first gods that kind of did the whole resurrection from the dead thing. So while there they were traveling up the Nile and while on this barge Antinous fell into the great river and drowned in October of the year 130. And from then on the rumors swirled. Was Antinous drunk and clumsy? Was he murdered by jealous courtiers, or had the young man committed a sort of ritualistic suicide to donate his health to an ill Emperor Hadrian? So we'll start with the political sort of aspect of this. Antinous was not exactly politically influential. Uh, He didn't really sway the Emperor's decisions on matters. He just didn't get involved in any of that sort of stuff. Um, So that one, that particular idea that he was assassinated by rivals in the political court of Emperor Hadrian just doesn't hold a heck of a lot of water. The next uh, idea is that maybe he was drunk and clumsy. Now that one, the Emperor, when announcing the death of Antinous, he didn't discuss it as though it were an accidental event so when it comes to the camp of drunk or accidentally slipping into the river that that idea seems to not hold a lot of water either now what does is the idea that the young man sacrificed his own life to try to help hadrian now hadrian had been ill for some time with an unknown illness And at that point in time, there was a lot of thought going around that you could donate your own health, your own vitality to someone else, risking your life to save theirs in sort of a medical, spiritual way. Now, Hadrian had passed some laws to try to ban this, but that doesn't mean that the ideas, the core beliefs of Antinous growing up weren't still there and this was his lover. His lover was ill, and his lover was the most powerful man in the world, basically a god in his own right. So if he could sit there and give himself to save his lover, he's going to do it. The afterlife of Antinous, now that's where things get pretty interesting. The local priests in Egypt connected Osiris and Antinous together because the young man died during this festival of the god of rebirth he kind of in in himself became a god of rebirth and hadrian hadrian was distraught it said that he cried like a woman i mean we aren't even gonna begin to dissect that particular bit of sexism but needless to say he was distraught and in his sadness he decided to destroy an entire city because that's healthy now from the destruction rose a new city Antinopolis and you can still see the ruins of that city to this day um statues were commissioned of Antinous and they have been found from Spain to Delphi North Africa and the Middle East in fact When it comes to sort of Roman statues, there are the big three uh, of of Roman statues. There is Augustus, Hadrian, and Antinous. Those three are the most found in that order, are the most found statues to this day. And two of them were emperors, whereas Antinous, for all intents and purposes, was a nobody. Just the lover of an emperor and only for a few years so his impact was obviously strong especially when it came to the machinations of Hadrian so if we remember Hadrian was a big fan of Hellenism and so when Antinous died and the Egyptians adopted him as a god of their own Hadrian jumped on that bandwagon And deified within the Greco-Roman traditions this young man. And so now Antinous was a god in several lands all over the Empire. In many ways, at that time, it seems like Antinous, at least by Hadrian's design, was being used to connect the older traditions of Egypt and Greece and of course the at that point in time contemporary uh, traditions of Rome he was using his lover to connect these these civilizations and form a coherent stream of history culture mythology Of course, any time that there's a cultural phenomenon, you have a countercultural reaction. And that reaction sprung forth from Judea. Jesus Christ was another young man, God, God man type person. And a lot of the powers, such as resurrection and healing, that were attributed to Antinous, he likewise was a said to have had. So early Christian authors were very critical of the cult of Antinous, and that's honestly where we get a lot of our information. Even though what they were writing was being written with a lot of venom, we still get a lot of great information about this cult. Of course, the Christians were not the only people hating on Antinous. A lot of the pagan religions didn't like him either. Because they wanted their gods to have, you know, crowns, glory. Um, so this is why emperors and pharaohs often became gods. But Antinous, heck, he had to be saved by Hadrian from a lion. He didn't slay the lion. So uh, both, both sort of sides of the religious question uh, in Rome kind of had some issues with Antinous. Uh, but his his cult survived for centuries after his own death, and it wasn't until the Emperor Theodosius I outlawed uh, the cult of Antinous and other pagan beliefs in the year 391 did we see his influence begin to wane culturally. Later, Christian authors, of course, would write about Antinous, again, with venom, like I said, because... They didn't like the homosexual aspects. Now, of course, homosexuality as a concept didn't exist, but the actions were problematic for them. The pagans didn't have a problem with that, but the Christians definitely did. It went counter to their concept of how sex is supposed to work in the greater um, cultural family life of humanity. But that's another story in and of itself. So how do we know... so much about Antinous now and why is he such an icon now? Well, that comes out of the 18th and 19th century and the invention of homosexuality as a concept. Antinous became this image of of queer masculinity and there were all of these statues everywhere of this beautiful, masculine, sometimes even feminine. It it danced around depending on who, who was carving this figure you would see this beautiful beautiful sculpture of a perfect man, a demigod. And queer men gravitated towards that. And so when you would have later uh, gay liberation movements, modern pagans even embrace the Greco-Roman and Egyptian styles in the contemporary artwork of this god. So it's just fascinating to me, I think, how we have this two millennia-long connection between this young man from northern Turkey who died on the River Nile, and now he's being recreated and and reappropriated by LGBTQ plus people in contemporary, internet-connected, iPhone-wielding modern society. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. If you want to stay connected with A History Most Queer, come visit our Instagram page at fittingly called A History Most Queer, and you can email us at A History at gmail.com. And I hope to see you all again next week at A History Most Queer.